great to be together. We're going to continue our um, sermon series on the book of John. And this morning, I got my guy Doug Banning is going to read our scripture. It's very cool. I have been Doug's uh, chemistry tutor for years and years. That's a, that's a lie. He's so smart, I don't even understand when he's telling me what it is he's studying. I'm like, I have no idea what any of that means, but I trust that you do and that you're not just, you know, pulling a fast one. Doug, would you read uh, John 9, 1 through 7 this morning? Uh, sure. I also, um, I just have to claim credit then for part of the inspiration for uh, Pastor Jason's upcoming books then. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Um, reading from John, uh, John 9. Uh, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your generosity. We thank you for this story. We thank you for this family. And we just want to sit at your feet this morning and hear what you have to say. So I pray you open our hearts and that you would help me to speak your words in your tone of voice if you were speaking here. In Jesus' name, amen. This chapter is one of the most maddening chapters in the entire book of John. It's so irritating to me, the response of these people to this incredible thing that just happened. It's full of bad theology, bad faith arguments, and malice. This man, who we often call the man born blind, had been begging outside the temple probably for years and for his whole life was judged in this way. They believed that there was a reason for his blindness and his begging. There was an external cause, a divine cause. There was always a reason for everything. Anytime a man succeeded in life, well, that was God rewarding him for something. And anytime a man struggled, well, God was clearly punishing. If that sounds a little bit like karma to you, it does to me also. Really bad, unfortunate theology, but it was so common that even the disciples see this man and they just assume the same thing. What's the deal here, Jesus? Jesus' answer to them was really quite terrific. This is chapter 9, verse 3 in the message. You're asking the wrong question, he said. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look inside for what God can do. Obviously, we're reading out of the message there. And he heals him. He gives this man sight for the first time in his life. It's such an awesome thing, right? So terrific. Like this man, like there should have been this profound celebration right 
there. It, the entire community were like, oh my goodness, this is Maurice <laughs> who's been begging right here. I just gave him a name because I don't want to say the man more blind the whole time. Uh, all this time. But no. People around him don't believe the thing that they just saw happen. They, like they don't, they don't buy it. The temple regulars are like, uh, wait a minute, is that the same guy I gave money to yesterday? His nose is different, I think. And then others are like, no, we know him. Like, you know, relatives jump in. His grandma's like, no, that's Maurice. Maurice, show him the birthmark on your bottom, you know. And he's like, ma, grandma, no. That's not in there. That's not even in the deep Greek. (laughs) Commotion all around him. Then people start interrogating him. Are you, in fact, Maurice? He's like, yes. Okay, does he have a twin? Maurice, do you have a twin? No, it's me, guys. It really is me. Well, then who opened your eyes? He's like, a man named Jesus. And I still have mud in them, actually. Anybody have sailing? Um, that is in the deep Greek. Um, they said, well, where did, who did it? Well, it was Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And then well, where is he? Now, get this. It's funny they even ask him, where'd he go? He, couldn't, he never even saw Jesus. He was blind. He put the mud in, and then he went away in the pool to wash. He never even saw Jesus. Like, well, where'd he go? I don't know. Poor guy. So, what do they do? Here's what they do, you guys. They march him to the principal's office. They take him to the Pharisees. Can you believe this mess? Like he's done something wrong, and they start interrogating him. It's so weird. Well, here's why they're interrogating him. It's actually quite predictable if you've been paying attention up until now. Here it is, verse 13. This day when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. Again, Jesus, Jesus did it again. Now, I, we need to get some things clear about Jesus and his relationship with the Mosaic law, okay? Uh, it, we need to reiterate <laughs> First of all, he had a profound respect for the Mosaic Law, but he just claimed to be superior. In the beginning was the Word, right? What's the Word? Jesus. We're not even talking about the Bible like we use today. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, right? He was preeminent. But obviously, the religious leaders of the day wouldn't have seen it that way. They had a profound respect for the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, Far more than even the most Bible-loving, even like far King James-only like fundamentalist kind of thing, like way more than even them. They held the scriptures to be precious, and it was so precious. Guys, this was customary. I saw this, this teacher talking about, uh, the, the, it was customary for young, for boys in this, in this time, in this tradition, if you were a Jewish boy, you would be required to memorize the first five books of the Bible by heart. Now, I did a little math. Actually, that's a lie. I totally didn't do math. I did a little Googling. <laughs> and then I put some numbers into a spreadsheet. There are, in the King James Bible, 124,911 words. That's a lot of words. That's a, that's a good quarter of the Bible. And, and they would have been expected to memorize them. And if you were, became a teacher of the law, you would have gone on to memorize massive portions 
of, of the Tanakh, right? The rest of the Old Testament. Jesus himself then, you guys, had all of that. He at least had the first five books of the Bible memorized. And he, was, he often quoted large portions of scripture that he had just down pat. He didn't even have an iPhone, right? Just had it. So we need to see this. He had profound respect for the scriptures. Profound respect. He didn't always come to the same conclusions, however, about them and about what was truly uh, most important. For example, there was a law in the book of Leviticus against touching anything or anyone that was unclean. Jesus one day is walking downtown and he sees a leper. And Jesus wants to heal the leper because he loves to heal people. How does he do it? He could have done it any way he wanted. He could have. He has plenty of long-distance healings. He could have waved his hand. He could have done anything. He could have done it with a word. What does he do, guys? He touched the leper. He touched the man who was unclean. The unclean man, the Levitical law, told him not to touch. Why do you think he did that? Any ideas? Why did he touch the leper? Sorry? He had, n- he had never been touched. At least not in many, many years since he contracted it, right? That was, imagine that. So what is he communicating to this leper by touching him? Profound love. Profound dignity. And in that moment, that was more important than the letter of the law. Are you with me? Guys, here's here's what I want to propose to you. Jesus cared less about the letter of the law than he did about the people for whom the law was made to protect. Jesus cared less about the letter of the law than he did about the people for whom the law was made to protect. Are you with me? Any any tomatoes going to be thrown? We good? This is also one of the subtler points of the Good Samaritan story. Remember this? The priest and the Levite see the injured, bleeding man on the side of the road. Now, they were in the service to the temple, right? So what do they do? They cross around him. Why? Because touching him would make him unclean. Now, you tell me, reading that story, did they make the right decision? They did not. The heart of God is often revealed in the Gospels when Jesus puts his love for people over the technical aspects of the law. And it's most clearly shown in regards to the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a gift of the law. We were just talking about this last night. Amber Riggs brought this up. The Sabbath was, the, the Sabbath was a gift to a slave people. They had been enslaved in Egypt for centuries, right? Do you think their, their slave masters ever gave them, you know, days off and holidays? Probably not. So here's, G, here's God when he meets them at Sinai and he gives them this beautiful gift of the Sabbath, a day of mandatory rest. That means no one, government leader, unjust business owner, or workaholic, no one is allowed to keep going. They have to rest. You see that? That's what it was. It was a gift. 
So then what do we see Jesus doing in chapter 5 that, that just had this reverberations, right? In chapter 5, remember, he saw the man lying by the pool of Bethesda, and he healed him on the Sabbath. But see here, you guys, that man had been Sabbathing for 38 years. That's how long he had been resting. So Jesus comes and he heals him, and he doesn't just heal him and say, get up and walk. He's like, yeah, pick up your pack. That would, in itself would have been like a, uh, that de- John put that detail in there so we would notice it. He said, pick up your pack. You know what? Technically, you're not supposed to pick up heavy burdens on the day that is on the Sabbath. But this man had never had the joy of standing up, let alone picking up something heavy and feeling his own strength. What a beautiful moment this is. Pick up your mat. Yeah, I know you're not technically supposed to on the Sabbath, but let me give you this joy. Be healed. Run along, my guy. Love is superior to the law. In fact, the entire law gets summed up as love. Love God and love your neighbor. That's how Jesus sums up the law. Once again, Jesus cared less about the letter of the law than he did about the people the law was made to protect. Are you with me? All right, can I give you a metaphor for how I think this might work? (laughs) I'm gonna hear about this one later. Um, The Mosaic law was created to protect God's people, right? Well, we have... We have a code of laws here, very, very, very different. These are nowhere close to the same, but just follow me, okay? We have a code of laws here that was created to protect people in the workplace, and that's by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA. Before OSHA existed, employees could easily be placed in very dangerous situations, especially in construction zones and large building projects. In fact, they often were and they were often terribly exploited. So out of that, OSHA was born. And OSHA has a lot to say about a lot of different things, I know, (laughs) different kinds of workplaces. I'm sure we have a variety of opinions on OSHA. Uh, And I am not here to challenge any of those opinions whatsoever. I'm sure it can be incredibly annoying. Now, but I think we could probably all agree at least the purpose behind OSHA is a good purpose, isn't it? It It's there to protect. Now, for truck drivers, there is a a very strict OSHA uh, policy called the 11-hour rule. You guys ever heard of the 11-hour rule? 11-hour rule is a truck driver is not allowed to drive for more than 11 hours in a 14-hour period. He must take a break. Now, the reason for that is so obvious if he does, you know, you could get very tired and fall asleep and kill yourself and lots of other motorists. And, and so they're like, no, this is for your sake, for the sake of you not being exploited by people telling you to go too far when you can't, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a good law, isn't it? But let's just imagine we have a truck driver who's been driving for almost 11 hours and is starting to like, oh, all right, I think I'm ready to take a break and find a truck stop and take a little nap and But before he gets to that exit, he sees a man on the side of the road frantically waving his arms next to his car. So he stops, and the man runs up, and he says, Sir, my wife is about to have a baby, and we're trying to get to the hospital, but our car broke down. How far is the hospital? It's an hour north. Ooh. (laughs) What's he going to (laughs) do? 
you know what? Yes, jump in. It's an hour north, but he makes it in 55 minutes because the speed limit, is, this is less important than what's happening right now with this woman. We got to get this couple to the hospital right now. And you guys, they make it in time. He even stays to make sure they're okay. Beautiful baby girl. Everybody's celebrating. They even give the kid the, 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 the middle name of that man. And he gets fired the next day. He gets fired for violating the 11th hour rule. This is what's happening to Jesus over and over again. You with me? This is what's happening. Jesus does something beautiful. He gets in trouble with religious bureaucrats. That's what they are. It's religious bureaucracy. The law was good. It was a good thing. But these people clearly didn't know how to weigh what was truly important. In other words, you guys, they didn't know how to love if you're so obsessed with the externals, do you really know how to love at the end of the day? These guys clearly didn't. I'll say it one more time. Jesus cared less about the letter of the law than he did about the people the law was made to protect. And this, this is awesome, but for some of us, it probably stings just a little. <laughs> like, I don't know about you. When I was growing up, I was, I was great at following the rules, you guys. Oh, man, I was so good. Like, I had a perfect halo. That's probably hard for some of you to imagine now, but it is true. Like, I never got in trouble. I had it all together. I had good grades. I didn't sme uh, uh, smoke or drink or run with those who did, as they used to say. Uh, I read my Bible. Uh, all, all the moms wanted me to marry their daughters. The daughters did not share that sentiment. <laughs> but the moms did. Like... And you guys, I really thought my priorities matched Jesus. Uh, they didn't. I had the rules up on a pedestal in a way that Jesus never did. This brings us back to the original story that we started with, this man born blind. Let's go back into that story. Who sinned, this man or his parents, they asked. And maybe that's why Jesus did it, you know. Maybe he's like, you know what, this poor guy, so he's probably so tired of this question, you know, being assumed about. So Jesus heals him. The man gets sight for the first time in his life. And for that, he gets hauled into an interrogation. John 13, or not, excuse me, John 9, 13 in the message, the Pharisees grilled him again on how he had come to see Jesus. He said, he put clay paste in my eyes and I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man, meaning Jesus, can't be from God because he doesn't honor the Sabbath. So we don't believe your story. Like guys, think about the math they're doing here. God only gives power to people who are not sinners. This was their mess. They were not sinners. This man violated the Sabbath, so clearly he's a sinner, so therefore God couldn't have possibly given it. So there, case closed. Like they're so impressed with this argument. It's just phenomenal. Um, so they're, they're upset that this miracle is unsanctioned. Did you get clearance for that? I'm sorry. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to call you into the office tomorrow. Collect your personal effects. 
They try to discredit this man by interrogating his parents, hoping that they'll say it isn't their son after all. And the, the parents feel this tension. Like, look at this, verse 20. Like, his parents say, we know he's our son, and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see. You guys, we haven't a clue who opened up his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's a grown man. He can speak for himself. His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that this was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. That's why they said, ask him, he's a grown man. This is a very real threat. If they got kicked out of the meeting place, that means out of the synagogue, the center of their their life and community. Dr. Craig Keener said in the the, uh, Bible backgrounds commentary from the great folks at IVP, said this, excommunication was one of the severest forms of discipline administered by a synagogue community and was apparently rare and thus very harsh in the time of Jesus. They're about to excommunicate this family, the harshest thing you could do for the crime of being healed. Huge deal. Can you imagine the tension here? Mom and dad huddled together, trying not to make eye contact with anyone, looking at the ground. The questions go back to the son, verse 24. They call the man back a second time, the man who had been blind, and told him, give credit to God. In other words, not not this guy. Give credit to God. We know this man, Jesus, is an imposter. He replied, I know nothing about that one way or the other, but I know one thing for sure. I was blind and now I see. They go back and forth a little longer until the Pharisees have had it. They end it this way. Let's read it out of the ESV, John 9, 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? What a horrible slur. You were born in utter sin, blind person. That's what they're saying. How dare you try to teach us? We can see. And they cast him out incredible cruelty, cold-hearted malice, all couched in these cute religious terms. Guys, we talk a lot about how the religious leaders missed it by not accepting Jesus. But the reason Jesus gets mad at them so often is, is often not that. It's often that they simply do not love their neighbor. They have no love in their hearts for the people that they're entrusted with. No love in their hearts whatsoever. They've put the law on this pedestal and it doesn't matter who gets crushed by their interpretation. It's horrible. This poor man just now has received a sight for the first time in his life, but they can't bring themselves to celebrate with him. They can't even bring themselves to say, hey, congratulations. Because it was Jesus who healed on the Sabbath and no, we can't know the Sabbath. So what do they do? They throw him out. They're a band of joyless religious bureaucrats who are obsessed with legal minutiae. They cared more about the letter of the law than they did about the people the law was made to protect. I'm still upset about this. It's been 2,000 years. It just makes me mad when I read it. But watch this. Watch this, you guys. Jesus comes back. I remember all this time, 
He, he hasn't been there. The controversies happen without him, right? He comes back in verse 35. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it is he who's speaking to you now. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You're never an outcast when you're with Jesus. You're never an outcast when you're with Jesus. And the Pharisees are watching this little reunion. And the dialogue keeps going. Don't let the fact that there's a new chapter and a, and a new heading fool you. I don't know about you, in my Bible it has a big 10. Oh, now we're going into chapter 10 and a heading. And it says, I am the good shepherd. Your Bible probably says something like that too. So you just sort of assume, okay, we're just in a new day and he's about to talk about the shepherd thing. But don't, 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 no, 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 no. Just like ignore that because the, the conversation keeps going. All of this keeps going. He's right here. He's still in this real tense place, okay, with Maurice. And they're talking. And, and, and he says, he, he says uh, something about uh, uh, shepherds and a door and sheep, but nobody, they're not understanding him. So he gets more explicit in chapter 10, verse 7. He says again to them, truly, truly, I, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. You guys, sometimes bad leaders slam the door shut and hurt the people they're supposed to be leading. But Jesus says, hey, Maurice, I'm the door, buddy. I'm the door. I'm the door for the sheep. I am the gate. I will let you in. Salvation comes through me, not through them and not through the Torah. It comes through me. He's clearly making a reference to a passage from the book of Ezekiel that talks about good shepherd or talks about bad shepherds, directly to shepherds and the gate. Uh, and, and it's a scathing passage. Let me just read to you a sampling. We won't put it up there. Just read to you a sampling. Ezekiel 34, uh, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You ate the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but, do you, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and a harshness have you ruled them. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require the sheep, my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will feed them in justice. It's a stern warning for the people who lead others. People like me do not abuse the sheep. Bad shepherds will be judged with great harshness. You know why? He said it over and over. They're his sheep. My sheep, he says, and he promises, I will rescue my sheep, myself. And guess what? Jesus fulfilled that right here with the man born blind. He comes to rescue this sheep who had been turned out by horrible shepherds. Right there, he fulfills his word. This guy had been abused. 
He had been judged his whole life and finally turned out. And Jesus says, follow me, Maurice. I am the door. Enter into the pasture. Pay no attention to the people who have shut you out. Forget the things they tell you. You're not accepted on the basis of having the right answers. You're not accepted even on the basis of perfect obedience to the law. It's me, friend. It's me. Are you getting this? John 10, 10 and 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. By the way, this is not even talking about Satan. We always read it as if it's talking about Satan. He's talking about the bad shepherds. That's who he's talking about. The people who steal the sheep away. Now, certainly it applies to Satan times infinity. Yeah, yeah, we know that. But still, he's talking about the bad shepherds, right? To steal, kill, and destroy. I came, they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd. What does he do? Lays his life down for the sheep. This is what he will do. He will lay his life down for all the sheep, for all of us. Are you getting this? I want you to picture the scene, you guys. Jesus is with this man. You have the Pharisees, angry and unable to let go of their spreadsheets. You have the parents who've watched their sons suffer and now are seeing them suffer again. You have the people who had always assumed that this man had been judged from his blindness, now don't know what to think about what just happened. You have everybody standing in this sort of rhetorical standoff. Would you close your eyes for a second and picture the scene? Where are you? Are you skeptical that Jesus really could be the one who said he was? Maybe you're offended at Jesus for maybe possibly bending a rule because you're a rule follower like me. And maybe you're weeping next to Jesus, healed and hurting at the same time. No matter where you find yourself, I believe Jesus would say this to you, friends. I am the good shepherd. It does not matter if you've been a chronic rule breaker or a chronic rule follower. It doesn't matter if you've been a prodigal or if you've been an older brother. There is room for you in his pasture. He is the good shepherd. He is, in fact, the door. You can open your eyes. The Lord, friends, the Lord is our shepherd. In Christ, we shall want nothing. Let's follow the way then of Jesus, the rule bender who makes blind eyes see and gives homeless sheep a place in his pasture. And let's always, always love the hurting. Let's stand together.